At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? I have a very special guest today that is absolutely dear to my heart, that we've been facilitating phenomenal rooms and leadership roundtables on where, what, where you guys think it is, that clubhouse. <laughs> and Carissa Harrison is certified Enneagram and leadership consultant, great thought leader, has phenomenal perspective, so many things, uh, definitely transformational in what she's trying to do. And also on top of it, she is phenomenal mother of amazing three kiddos. You guys have to check her Instagram. Without further ado, I wanted to introduce you to Carissa. Carissa, welcome. Isabella, thank you. That was generous and kind. And I am so grateful that we connected a few weeks ago on Clubhouse. You have already been a positive impact in my own world and have learned a lot from you. And so it's just going to be fun to chat today. Um, feelings are mutual, likewise. And I'm super glad that you could find in your busy schedule to join and also share the value outside of the Clubhouse because not everybody's on that app and not everybody have chance to go in these rooms where I really feel like a lot of knowledge get lost unless you're there and you take a notes and you go for actionable items, right? What do we do? Uh, right now, obviously, as you know, information is what? Just information unless you take action and you are the queen of execution. So <laughs> do you mind sharing a little bit about uh, yourself? How did you get not only into leadership, but also how do you became experts with Instagram, with uh, understanding makeup and DNA of different individuals and how that helps you to execute tremendously well in your world? Oh, I would love to. And if I can, I'll start with a story. Please. So about 10 years ago, I was an up and coming leader at a company that I was working for. I had just been promoted and they flew us out to a leadership training and there were hundreds of new leaders in the room and they had just gone through a segment of training with us on how to coach other individuals. And somehow I found myself on the stage uh, as the example of coaching someone through what we had just learned how to do. And so I'm on stage, which I'm comfortable doing. I'm you know, comfortable talking in front of people. And I think I'm doing a great job, you know, giving this example of coaching. And all of a sudden in the middle of this example in a room full of hundreds of people, including leaders at the company that I absolutely wanted to impress, a woman stands up in the back of the room and she says, excuse me, excuse me, I'm so sorry, but she is doing it all wrong. Wow. Yes. And it was like one of those moments where your heart just drops to the floor. And she wound up coming on stage. I wound up being invited to take a seat at my table and she killed it, like hit it out of the park. She did such a great job. And, you know, it, it should have been just an embarrassing moment for me. But what wound up happening is it was actually humiliating. And I went home and I can remember the plane ride home. I was crying on the plane ride, got home and for the first time really felt anxious after that experience. And I could not figure out why something like that would impact me so much. I mean, I am a survivor. I'm a strong, independent leader. I should have been able to handle it. What I later discovered was that it had triggered the core fear of my Enneagram type. And that was what started my journey of studying the Enneagram. You see, I am a type three and the core fear of an Enneagram type three is that we are afraid that others will see us as incompetent or unsuccessful. And so there I was on stage in front of hundreds of people that I wanted to impress being shown as incompetent as a coach and a leader, and it just triggered me like crazy. And so I began to study my own type 
and began to experience self-awareness and self-management and social awareness. As a leader, I began to implement it as a tool with my team and saw incredible transformation, my own personal growth, and then decided I have to get certified and begin to use this as a tool because I want other people to experience the transformation that I have. So, you know, today, I'm way more comfortable getting the answer wrong or, you know, jumping up on a stage and, and hearing different, you know, opinions. It still kind of stings a little bit, but it doesn't have the impact that it would have 10 years ago. That is a powerful story. And I love, again, the level of vulnerability and showing how all of us in different stages were at different places and how much we can grow if we're open and if we're lifelong learners, right? But if we're not and we think we're the best, we're going to not be able to flourish because others will not be able to connect and resonate with us. Mm -hmm. yeah. do, you mind, do you mind sharing? Because uh, a lot of people might not be um, familiar with Enneagram. What is Enneagram all about? How is the tool being developed? Why is being used? And why is so impactful? Hmm. Okay. I love it. You're speaking my language. So the Enneagram is a personality typology, similar to what, what most people would be familiar with, like a Myers-Briggs type indicator or a strength finders or a leading from your strengths uh, that helps you understand your personality. The difference that I think sets it apart as something that helps people achieve incredible personal growth is it doesn't just tell a leader what they do or what their behavior is, or what their personality is, it actually gets to the core motivations that are driving the thoughts and the feelings and the behaviors of the individual. So it's kind of like if we go to the doctor with a headache, the doctor can treat the headache, the symptom with Tylenol, right? Yes. But we don't wanna just keep treating the symptoms. We don't wanna just keep treating the thoughts and the behaviors and the actions. We wanna to get to the root cause of what's, what's causing the headache, what's causing the people pleasing, what's causing the anger outbursts, what's causing the control you know, issues that we have as leaders. The Enneagram helps us get to the root cause of what's driving the thoughts, the feelings, and the behaviors that we want to change. And I think what makes it especially powerful is it helps us to see for the first time the blind spots that we have not been aware of. Yes, that is fantastic. Thank you for explaining that. And why is now the blind spot so important? Specifically when I'm looking from C-suite uh, leadership and decision makers, the guys that have the title, that have the power, but yet uh, and maybe don't know how and they're not aware of even themselves, let alone DNA or makeup of their teams, which is very often very common. So uh, do you mind sharing a couple of examples how Indiogram, but just in general and not necessarily even from the two perspective, how do you see transformation occurring in, in, in team dynamics and how is that supporting during these challenging times that we're in? Yes. Okay. So I walk clients through something called an Enneagram growth process. And it starts with self-awareness because as leaders, we cannot change what we cannot see about ourselves. And we cannot lead other people in their own journey of self-awareness until we have done the work ourselves. Absolutely. And so, you know, one client that just reached out yesterday hasn't started working with me yet. The issue is they're the CEO of a company. They're a type eight on the Enneagram typology, which is an assertive, aggressive, strong leader. Um, the problem with that is the type eight doesn't always understand the strength that they're bringing to the table and the directiveness that they're bringing isn't always received as well by all of the other types on their team. Yes. And so there are incredible strengths to that type eight leader, but there are also some potential vulnerabilities. And it doesn't necessarily mean that this type eight leader needs to change everything about who they are. That's not what we want to do. We want to own our strengths. We want to own the, the way that we have been designed to show up and to lead. But as we have self-awareness, we can take responsibility as a leader to adjust our style to fit the person that we're leading. So it's that situational leadership component that brings value to our communication, to the way we get feedback, to the way that we handle conflict. And a type eight leader will want to soften their approach. They'll want to check the tone of their voice. They'll want to check their body language and make sure that they're not you know, assertive. Um, but most of the time they're not aware 
until someone helps them to see how that is coming across because it's just how they see the world. It's just who they are. And so that would be one, one example. And then what winds up being beautiful about it, you know, when it, when it starts with an individual and then it spreads to the whole team where everyone is doing the work of self-awareness and self-management, and then you begin to understand the dynamics of the different personalities there's compassion and understanding. And so all of a sudden, you know, those, those little things that just yeah. bug you on a team or, you know, the underlying tension that can be there a lot of the times over just silly stuff. Well, when we understand our type and then we understand the other types around the table, we tend to have more compassion for one another, a little bit more understanding for one another, and it helps to ease that tension because you go, you know what? That strong, assertive type eight leader, they're not angry at me right now. They're just passionate about what they're talking about. Or that type one leader who's really focused on making sure that everything is done perfectly and exactly right all of the time, they're not attacking me. They just wanna make sure that everything is aligned the way that it needs to be. So it just kind of brings the, the you know, temperature down a bit yes. in the room. Yes. That is brilliant. And I love uh, examples that you took there uh, to help for others who are not as familiar to understand that better. And we purposely choose the topic instead of adding too many complex uh, layers of everything. Uh, Self-awareness has in its own a uh, huge, huge uh, component. First of all, what it, that means, how is that manifest, what that includes, and how do you really manage and develop that and over a period of time? So do you mind now to give us a little bit of high level and then deep dive around self-awareness? Because you, you're spot on. Self-awareness is the one, I think it's a, like a first layer of foundation, isn't it? In, in many mm -hmm. ways, for every single individual from their behavioral standpoint. Yes, I love this. So this is the first phase of the process that I lead clients through, and it's because it's foundational. We can't start to look at the other personality types until we can see ours and take ownership of what's going on. And so what we start with with the Enneagram typology is understanding the core fear of each type. So a lot of times people will go online and they'll take an Enneagram test. Don't do that because the tests are diagnosing behavior. Your Enneagram type is not about your behavior because all nine types share those behavioral characteristics. Your type is based off of your core fear. So I'll go with my type uh, as an example. Fear. Core fear. Yeah. And that core fear is driving our thoughts, our feelings, and our behaviors. So the core fear of the type three, I'll pick on myself, is that we would be seen as inadequate, unsuccessful. Um, we fear failure. So we will avoid failure at all costs, okay? Um, and and that, that sounds good because we don't typically fail unless you're me and you're on a stage in front of 500 people. Um, <laughs> but the thing with the type three leader that I would be working on is, okay, let's get really familiar with that core fear. When are you noticing it triggering you? Mm. When are you noticing it driving your thoughts? Um, when, you're, when you're unable to shut your work off at the end of the day and focus on your family, is that core fear driving that? When you have an employee sitting across the desk from you that just wants to come in and talk a little bit about their personal life and build a relationship with you, but all you can think about is why they're talking to you about their personal life and why can't you just get on to the next task? That's that core fear coming up and that employee can see in your face and in your body language that you don't care about them as a person. That's one of the blind spots of the type three is we are so focused on the work. And so we really uh, take a deep dive, not into just into the core fear, but then each Enneagram type has specific behaviors that we learn to watch for when we're stressed, that we learn to watch for when we're healthy and we're growing, that we learn to watch for in our blind spot path, and that we uh, learn to watch for in what I call our converging path, which is when we have been doing some really good work, uh, we're growing and we're developing, and then we get to take on some of the healthiest characteristics of other types. So it's like this internal alert system for the leader that helps them to go, okay, hold on a second. I'm stressed and overwhelmed and I'm overreacting instead of responding in the moment. And once we have the self-awareness, then we can make a different choice. 
that is so powerful. And a lot of times we get triggered by different things and things just don't show up that we're not even aware of. Uh, but also now when you now when you're saying this, how deeper behind underlying actually is the fear and what type of fear and depicting that and addressing that is the essential, right? So if you don't mind, I'm just really fascinated about this subject. Uh, obviously seeing different things with my clients as well. But now I'm seeing like top three or four fears, right? Of course, we have a fears to now of unknown because that is really what is really pushing a lot of people to edge. A lot of plans are get shifted. Uh, fear, obviously, um, that they failed to let their family down, right? Because of economy, because of loss of job, or whatever might be the scenario. Then around, are they going to ever be, be able to rebuild? Are they going to ever be valid? And do they going to ever matter? With the, with obviously top three fears that are always coming back, which is three, number three, uh, based on some of my analysis, fear of, of success, right? And then number two, fear of failing, and then the one that is always keep coming back, and I'm curious what you think about it and how accurate this is, which is fear of rejection. Right now we're seeing mm -hmm. so much rejection happening on so many levels that that is paralyzing so many adults. And uh, and I'm curious, what is your take? And what do, what type of fears do you see right now happening? And, and, and how do you go about it so that you can help them to get to much clearer self-awareness and accuracy with that? Because I'm seeing people solving wrong problems. I have people mm -hmm. thinking about different perceptions. So please, please share your insights and, and your thoughts on that. Love it. I love it. And it is fear of rejection is a universal experience for all of us. Some of us just manage it a little bit better. And so what the way I would approach this with a client that's doing Enneagram coaching with me is I want to get deeper. So what is it that we are afraid of around rejection? So, you know, for the type three leader, they are fearing rejection because they are afraid of failure. They're afraid of being viewed as incompetent. So if we can address that core fear under the fear of rejection, we can move that leader forward faster. Uh, the, the fear of rejection is more of a symptom in this case. For the type seven leader who they are, you know, uh, uh, their fear is being deprived or trapped in emotional pain, but they are incredible visionaries, idea eaters, uh, entrepreneurs. They're the ones that are starting new companies every three years. Those are your serial entrepreneurs. Uh, rejection isn't as big of a deal for them unless they're in a stressed or unhealthy space and they are trying to avoid that feeling of being trapped with uncomfortable emotions. And so if we can get under that fear of rejection to the root cause, then we can help move them forward. It's kind of like perfectionism. You know, so many of us deal with perfectionism, right? And it holds us back and we don't get stuff done and we procrastinate. We can keep dealing with perfectionism or we can ask ourselves, why am I driven to perfect? Is it because I don't want to be seen as bad like a type one leader? Or is it because I'm perfecting so that I don't fail like a type three leader? Or is it because I am perfecting like a type two leader because I want everyone around me to like me? So it's really mm -hmm. about getting underneath the surface. Wow. That is so deep, and I love how you're able to also go through these different uh, personalities and understand that same root of the problem or our cause uh, actually may have a different root of root roots and and and, and stems from different uh, aspects of it. And and if we're not diagnosing or understanding that very well, mm -hmm. we might be focusing on something that is totally irrelevant. Uh, and that yeah. is amazing. Um, one of the things uh, that you were just uh, just uh, when you mentioned that keeps coming up is um, how do you again go to that process? Uh, if you if you're not having opportunity, luxury obviously to work with someone like yourself, just so that we have something like a tool on daily basis to check in within ourselves, go inward. Because a lot of times right now, what I'm seeing, everything everybody wants, specifically during the current time, to connect. 
and but they don't know what types of ways which different types of personality work and 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 some people can be very destructive very disruptive some people can really lean in uh, it's just uh, so many different ways of connecting obviously yes based on our behavior but uh as a result i'm hearing also it's like oh it just doesn't work i'm going to give up because they're not aware of again what they're bringing to the table and that self-awareness that is not just the physical and uh tone of voice and non-nonverbal but it's also energetical too so mm -hmm. do you mind picking a little bit about that because i know that a lot of problems could be solved if we have that nailed down yes okay so i think what i'm hearing you talk about is that we are responsible for the energy that we bring into a room yes yes in addition to mm -hmm. all of those nonverbal verbal elements and then for overall self-awareness self if you don't mind just sharing your perspective and how do you review self-awareness how others should be at least understand whether four or five of those core elements and then what they need to really understand what all of that means if you don't mind just going a little bit deep dive on that so that we have some specific actionable items afterwards for them to take. Mm -hmm. So what I encourage people to do is get to understand your personality type. And there are so many great Enneagram resources out there that if you're not looking to engage with a coach or a professional, there are fantastic resources and books um, that you can use to learn about your specific type. Because once you know what to look for, you have an advantage. You know, self-awareness is one of those things where we've been, we've been experiencing ourselves our entire life. And so there are some things that we are aware of, and then there are way more things that we have no clue about. And what the Enneagram can do is it helps us to, to identify the things to begin looking for. And then at that point, once we have some ideas of, okay, this is my Enneagram type, these are some of the potential vulnerabilities of my specific type. Then we want to take time every day to look back and reflect. So one of the first things I have a client do is once they know their core fear, take five minutes at the end of the day. And I want you to think back through your day. When did you notice your core fear getting triggered? It's usually in a moment when you had an uncomfortable emotion come to the surface when you reacted at a level eight, nine or 10, and you realize later it probably was only, you know, a necessary level two response, but you had a, a reaction in the moment, you know, you're just looking for those places and spaces. And then one of the things that, um, that I'll actually be talking about on Clubhouse later today is it's so important for leaders to ask for feedback. Yes. But we're so afraid to do it, aren't we? And I can tell you a reason why, based on my experience uh, with clients and people, and, and also personal experience. I mean, I overcame myself that, but I know that a lot of people can. And as adults, we're being taught we cannot fail. So it's really hard to anyway get slapped on the hand and, and say you did it wrong because of approach and ways delivered. I had a very awful ways of people that were posturing and understanding and actually they're projecting their own insecurities. And, and a lot of times uh, knowing how, how to provide the feedback is, 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 it true, is it true, first of all? Is it relevant? Is it accurate mm -hmm. for this particular scenario? Because everybody's bringing their own lenses from past experiences and past triggers that come based on situations and dynamics that are unfolding. And a lot of times I find that that truly does require expertise and practice to do that. So it's mm -hmm. uh, constructive. So it is well received because you have to know, I understand the personality behind it. And at the same time, that is going to move the needle forward and create a better cohesion and better connection. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, which is over 90%, creates more conflict, friction, maybe not visibly, and creates more pain. Right now, we live in an environment everybody wants to connect, right? And so if it's not done well, how are we going to connect when I already feel like I'm being judged because it's done in a judgmental way or in, and in a way that I feel I'm not enough, so I'm just going to contract? Or is that is the done in a way that you are now doing power play and trying to elevate yourself and put me down? Those are the three main things that I'm seeing over and over in those dynamics. So please... Do you mind sharing how how do you see it? What 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 pieces of of this uh, resonate with you? And and how would you 
tell someone, hey, this is how you should be receiving the feedback and this is how you should be given the feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so important because as leaders, if we're not getting feedback regularly, I think our growth is limited because again, we can't see everything about ourselves. We don't, we don't have the ability to know everything about ourselves. And so, you know, my recommendation is there should be someone in our life, whether it's a, a, um, our boss or our leader that we report to that we trust or a coach that we hire, someone in our life that we trust who has our best interest at heart that we have invited to speak in um, on specific areas. And so I always tell people, don't just ask, hey, do you have any feedback for me? Because the person doesn't understand or know what you're looking for. We have to be willing to ask for specific feedback. So that looks like, hey, can you tell me, how did I handle that meeting? How did I handle that presentation? How did I handle that conversation? What could I do different next time? We have to come with specific questions when we're looking for feedback that helps it to be way more effective than if we're just going, hey, do you have any feedback for me? Most of the time you're going to hear the person go, no, I think you did great. And then you move on. But if you come and specifically say, hey, you heard me speak at that meeting yesterday, what would you have done different? Or, hey, I've been working on my body language in a meeting and speaking up in a meeting. Tell me how I did yesterday. Did you experience me that way? We have to get really specific. And then that opens the door. And here's the thing. When someone's giving us feedback, we have to take some deep breaths and we have to listen. Yes. We don't interject. We don't say, but we don't defend. Because what, what happens, Isabella? they don't give us feedback anymore, right? Yes, they feel that like they cannot tell us and because we're not willing and able to take it. And as a result, they contract and we lose the opportunity, but also start creating damage in relationship because then immediately never, things don't go necessarily back to same again because now we're fearing and we're uptight around that person and we're pushing away and, and we're just trying to now also avoid them, right? Because that's the natural behavior that happens as a result of, of something that makes us uncomfortable and undesirable and painful, frankly. Right now, a lot of people operating from pain due to magnitude of issues that are happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And as results, we know what happens with that too, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the flip side of that is as leaders, when we are in a position where we are expected to give feedback on a consistent basis, and you know, if we look at employee satisfaction statistics, employees really do want and crave good, healthy feedback. Yeah. As leaders, we have to be really intentional about how we are giving that feedback. And we can't give feedback to every employee the same way because every employee doesn't hear and receive feedback in the same way, which is one other area where the Enneagram is really, really helpful. You know, that type eight leader that I mentioned earlier, they don't want you to sugarcoat anything. In fact, they're not gonna believe you or take you seriously if you are anything less than direct with them. And so to do the typical, affirm and then give the feedback and then reaffirm is really ineffective with that one specific personality type. They want you to set them down and they want you to really tell it like it is. Yes. And that earns their respect. But you can't do that with any other type of Enneagram. It doesn't yes. work. Yes. You know, you're going and so to lose them. You're going to lose them and they're going to shut down and feel attacked. You know, that type eight leader who really craves that kind of direct feedback has to be really self-aware that that's not how they should be giving feedback 90% of the time, unless it's with another type eight leader. They have to soften. They have to learn the importance of starting with affirming the individual before you give critical feedback about the activity or the behavior or the project and then reaffirm them as an individual, they can hear it when it when it's softened a bit. But if they go direct with someone who doesn't have that same personality type, it's not going to go well. That is excellent point. And that's why it's more than ever important for leaders uh, to really get to know their people. I have mm -hmm. some people saying, you know, I'm such a great doctor. I'm such a great, you know, business owner. I'm such a great in my own expertise, uh, whatever it might be, but I'm not great of dealing with my team or I'm so great 
with uh, you know sales guys or we're just great of generating money but I am not great of really dealing with admin administrative stuff or, or or understanding my admin team or support team and 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 I always ask why you are not why are you irritated by all of this? Because you can really quickly tell and they just simply don't want it to know. But in reality, you deal with all kinds of people and you should understand dynamics of people because it's the same thing as, as your patients are coming to see you. Uh, think about it. These are your core uh, team members that are supporting that operation. You have to understand who you have internally before and have cohesiveness of the team and 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 and, and tap into their strengths why why performance is all-time low right now why yeah. uh, why engagement is all-time low not because we're doing things virtually because we don't have very strong united fronts with the leadership we're so fragmented and we're different have styles and different expectations and people are confused and exhausted and tired and on the end of the day after hours and hours of talk still don't have no idea what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Isabella, I would be curious to know what are you seeing as some of the consequences for these teams that are not practicing and engaging in self-awareness? Because I think sometimes we hear from leaders and they say, but, you know, our sales are awesome. You know, we're hitting our numbers. We're, you know, we're making the money. We're doing the stuff. But the team dynamic is just kind of off. But we don't need to focus on that because the other stuff is so good. Right. So what are some of the consequences for leaders and teams that are not focused on this work? I definitely see insane friction, a lot of attrition. I see a lot of fights and conflicts. I see also fragmentation and isolation between departments. Uh, I definitely see way more pain, even though they may not admit, but on the individual level, when you have a conversation, they will definitely share that. Uh, a lot of people are just having, um, and they're not committed. They're not anymore committed. They're not anymore loyal. They're not anymore invested. They're not performing to optimally. Uh, they just mm -hmm. want to park themselves and slide or, or pass, you know, as much as, as they can. A lot of them are looking for alternatives and different types of employment. So this engagement and fraction and fragmentation happens because, A, they don't feel like they're led well. They don't mm -hmm. feel like they're trusted and supported so that they can do what they need to do. Uh, and everything is just operating in a chaos. And right now, people tr people's threshold of that chaos is uh, already stretched, as we mm -hmm. know, right? Yeah. So as a result, we're seeing all of that. And, and, and it has to be quicker, better way and other alternatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's costing us money when we're not doing this work for all the reasons that you just shared. It's attrition, it's low productivity, all of those things. It's the HR resources and manpower that's spent navigating the conflict and the tension and all of the things. Um, when if we can get ahead of it, it sets us up for synergy where we're collaborating and we're working together and we're not avoiding conflict because we respect one another and we have trust and then we can move forward and really get to the work that needs to be done and not be caught up in all of the drama. So very true. And we have a really good question here. So what about people that don't have energy uh, a bit, but outside look uh, very happy? Uh, as a lot of people would say, fake till you make it, or a lot of people that are hiding true feelings because they don't feel safe that they can do it and then portraying that everything is fine. Um, that is an excellent question. Hmm. Yeah, so I don't know that I completely understand the question. So I'm gonna I'm gonna answer what I think you're asking, but tell me if if I'm off. I think what you're asking is what do we do when we have someone who's smiling on the outside, saying that everything is okay, but we know that everything's really not okay. Yes. Um, I I think what I think what I always encourage leaders to do is to lead with vulnerability. So yeah. we know, Isabella, you've mentioned it a couple of times. We are all collectively suffering right now. We are in the midst of a global crisis that's been happening for almost a year. So every single one of us is struggling to some degree or another, right? I mean, just it's impacted us some more than others, but it's impacted us. And so I think to show up as a leader and acknowledge the elephant in the room you know, to go, hey, here's here's where this is hard for me and here's how I'm struggling and I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna fake it till I make it too. But 
at the end of the day, I'm also, I'm also struggling. I'm also tired. I'm doing the best that I can. And I want to come alongside all of you because I know that while you're putting your best face forward, there's a lot going on. And then to see if that just kind of opens the door for some good conversation. It may not happen the first time, especially if the culture is not a culture where vulnerability has really been practiced at all or in a healthy way. But those baby steps and it has to be the leader leading by example with that. That is so true. But I also think what, what is missing in that honest and transparency to say, I really am, I'm also having a hard time and, 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 and this is normal and normalize certain things, right? And having very honest conversation because so many people are portraying to be superwoman and superman and they don't need anybody and they can do it all and they figure it all. And in reality, we know that is impossible. We co-depend so much of each other. If nothing, at least in our own environmental, personal environment, right? Uh, but if not in, in, in a workforce, depending on size of organization and structure. Uh, but definitely when we're dealing with, with the larger teams, we have to really talk into all of that support. So I also feel like uh, having proper expectations. I had somebody telling me, you know, they want me to perform as a normal time in terms of sales and everything else and things to completely change. But my boss doesn't want to hear it. So it's like, how do you now bring true pain points to someone? So you just try to just, you know, do the best you can and kind of duck down and, 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 and keep it quiet. Uh, and that is really what the brings another great question here is how do you really do teach people to uh, be more self-aware and be uh, and, and more about self-awareness? Mm -hmm. I think it comes back to the leader. If we are practicing self-awareness, if we're talking about what we're learning, if we're asking our people and our teams for feedback, that is contagious and it trickles down. You know, so when we talked about feedback a few minutes ago, we didn't only uh, we we only spoke about getting feedback from our leaders or from our you know coaches, but it's really important for us as leaders to also be asking the teams that we're leading for feedback. You know, to say to that direct report, hey, tell me how I am doing as a leader. What else do you need from me that you're not getting? What are the moments when there's tension and I'm not picking up on it? Those kinds of things. And as our employees, as our team see us leading with self-awareness and growing in self-awareness, then it becomes safe for them to do the same thing. But if they have a leader who thinks they have to have it all buttoned up and have all the answers and be doing everything right all of the time, it doesn't create a safe space for them to practice self-awareness. So when a company is looking to work with me, I have to start with the leader, the CEO. If the leader, the CEO is not willing to do the work, then it's not gonna be an effective team workshop because the team is not gonna feel safe to practice their own self-awareness. Brilliant. And that is brilliant. And we have also a great question from Hans that he is asking about, can we measure self-awareness and is it possible to measure? So, wow, that is really deep, Hans. Thank you for asking that one. Yes. Okay. So this is another area where the Enneagram becomes a very helpful tool because it gives us the archetype of all those nine personality types. And so it gives you a description of what your Enneagram type looks like when you're healthy. What does your Enneagram type look like when you're stressed? What does your Enneagram look type look like when you're way beyond stressed and you're operating in your blind spot path? What does it look like when you're converging and you're incredibly healthy and growing and moving in a forward direction? And so those become those alert systems to go, okay, where am I in my self-awareness right now? What are the things that I should be managing? How am I doing in my social awareness right now? And so it really serves as a checklist for us as leaders. And we never arrive. So I was just telling a client this yesterday, you know, is she was going, oh my goodness, like this is what my, this is who I am in stress. Like seeing it on paper is kind of hard to read. And I said, I understand I'm 10 years into my own work with the Enneagram and I am still doing this work. I'm still learning about myself, still learning about my Enneagram type because there are so many layers to it. And it's such a beautiful thing you just mentioned there because we're growing and we're at different stages 
presented with different challenges and and the mastery of anything takes time and effort and practical application but one of the things i would also add for hans was asking it's like you go to doctor when they say on scale one to ten what level of pain do you experience in, and what type of pain when you know what type of triggers you have and what type of self-awareness blind spots do you have when it's already that clear then you can self-reassess on daily basis and then also based on feedback as you said and constructive feedback from others you can know uh and then you can really easily know where, where you were for that day our performance shifts and change but we're, if we're putting our own best every single day we don't have no regrets because we know we did the best we could for that day but in the same time knowing that we can increase that and have desire to perform better we cannot just have a desire on its own we also have to have a tools and we also have to have a technique and practice that it's like why olympians win olympic games specifically mm -hmm. individual contributors because they practice insane grueling four years in order just to qualify for competition and if they are selected with such a high high competition and no possibility these selected go and do that so it's a very interesting how that shifts and changes. So do you mind sharing a little bit from that standpoint? And then also we're having very interesting question here. How you recognize what is sincerely true feedback and what is fake? That is excellent point as well, mm. as we're seeing a lot of different things happen, aren't we? Yes. Yes. Okay. True feedback and fake feedback. So when I think of fake feedback, you know, that can look different. But the first thing that comes to mind is when someone is just telling me what they think I want to hear. And yeah. so as a leader, if we're surrounded by people who are only feeding our ego, if they're only making us feel better about ourselves, then we don't have anyone that's giving us real and honest feedback. And we might need to ask ourselves in that moment, is that more about me than it is about them? Am I, as a leader, creating an atmosphere where my, my superiors feel comfortable giving me feedback, where my peers feel comfortable giving? Are we as spouses creating an environment where our partners are willing to give us feedback? I mean, it kind of starts at home. If our spouse can't give us feedback, then our employees are definitely not giving us feedback. And so I think that that would be the thing is, is are people able to tell me things that kind of bruise my ego a little bit and kind of make me want to defend myself, want to give an explanation, but instead I'm choosing in that moment to breathe through it, to listen, to be really curious and to ask good questions. Hey, tell me why you're feeling that way. Help me understand what you saw in that moment. Help me understand what it's like for you when I respond that way. Uh, the, tell me why that's important to you. And then just listen and then don't defend. Just thank them. Hey, thank you for your feedback. I know it's hard to give honest feedback. And so I think if, if I'm only hearing things that make me feel good from the people around me, that's usually a good indication that I'm not actually getting real feedback. What about you, Isabella? What do you think? That is excellent point. And actually seeing, uh, I, I love it and I, I definitely echo all of that, but I'm also seeing a couple of interesting things. If somebody's very challenged and difficult person and leader is not very well developed and don't know how to deal with that personality, then they're gonna just kind of trying to smooth things over and making things lighter and more mellow, which they don't do service to neither one of them, right? Uh, but then I also see the other side of it when you have very uh, self-centric, types of leaders just because they're in leadership position but don't not really even understanding their team so well so they're going to judge judge them based on one comment or snippet uh or sometimes actually even do that in open and 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 provide uh in such a uh a way that can even with people with best intentions can be really perceived as disrespectful and not really positively received, doesn't matter how well uh, grounded that individual is. So when I see these two contracts, right, and far extremes, uh, I also see a lot of in the middle where people are ultimately not clear what the goal is because we have so much ambiguity right now. And the ambiguity is going to bite us in so many ways. However, it's important to understand ambiguity of some work and uncertain and unknown. 
you have to know your people in order to lead forward. If everything is operating with the gray area of so much ambiguity, question it is why. Because either you're not investing enough time to get to know your people, you're not investing enough time to talk to them, you're not investing time to further develop them. Those are the things that should not be ambiguous about. And that is what I'm seeing right now, major, major issues. And as a result, people that are low performing, as they say, well, I'm just counting days, I can't actually quit I will lose the benefits or whatever might be scenario. I'm actually will be happy if I get fired. That is awful thing to hear from people that are usually being insane performers and that they get to that level. So I'm also really hoping for decision makers and leaders to listening to really understand all this in between these mm -hmm. far extremes and really understand where they sit and to be self-aware of right, what they do and not do as well as what they're expecting from people that are supporting it in order to manage better that cohesiveness and connection and relationship. Mm -hmm. And we're, yes. if you don't mind, we're having a then follow-up phenomenal question here. If my self-awareness is relative related to my milieu or position or absolute as a, as a height of, of where I'm coming from. Great question again, Hans, between you and Marco, you guys are definitely bringing a lot to self-awareness piece. Would you mind sharing uh, what are your thoughts on that, please? I love it. You know, I think Hans, it's probably all of the above. So I think our self-awareness uh, starts with our personality type. It starts with who we are as an individual. It starts with the way that we're wired, the way that we uniquely see the world around us. We want to have self-awareness there, but we also need to have self-awareness that's situational, that's based upon our level of leadership in the organization, uh, our performance in the organization, our role that we play in the organization. And so, you know, the self-awareness of uh, an employee that is task focused is going to be different than the self-awareness that's required for a leadership that's leading a small team. It's going to be different for a leader that's leading an entire company. And so I think every individual needs to have self-awareness that's related specifically to them as a person, because Isabella's self-awareness and my self-awareness are going to be completely different because we're two different people. Yeah. However, as leaders, there are definitely commonalities that we need to have when it comes to self-awareness. So I hope that I hope that answered it. Yes. And Hans, let us know if we did, if, if Carissa had a chance to answer, if you have a follow up question. But I just want to say I appreciate audience uh, for their participation and asking great uh, questions. Mm -hmm. And again, thank you, Carissa, for great insights. Uh, with that in mind, obviously, I'm curious, what are your thoughts are right now based on what you've seen from the decision maker leadership uh, level of what what is happening that is creating a more harmony and then and on opposite side, what they're missing out uh, and where they could have a much more uh, opportunity for improvement in order to give and receive the uh, constructive positive feedback, but also to increase their self-awareness and help to increase self-awareness of their teams. Mm. Yes. Okay. So, you know, the Enneagram growth process that we mentioned earlier starts with self-awareness. Then we move into self-management. What do we want to change that we're starting to notice? The final phase is social awareness. And this is really where emotional intelligence comes full circle. So once we've done the work on ourselves, then we can begin to understand how do I, as a type three leader, interact with the other types of leaders and personalities around me. And if I'm doing the work and then I spend the time and, and I'm intentional about understanding the people around me, how are they wired? How do they communicate? How do they want to receive communication? How do they need to receive feedback? What does encouragement look like for them? What motivates and demotivates them? As leaders, when we can take ownership of not just our own self-awareness, but learning how to be aware of the other people around us, what they need and 
how they operate, then that's where synergy happens. That's where teams come together and the collaboration is incredible. That's when the tension levels go down. That's when all the unnecessary conflict goes out the window and you can actually get to the root of, hey, we disagree on this. Let's talk about it so that we can move the project forward in a really incredible way because conflict is necessary. Sometimes we think we need to avoid the conflict, but that's not the case. We need to be able to enable our teams to have healthy discussion and healthy disagreement and healthy conflict. Otherwise, we're not solving problems effectively. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. That is amazing. And, and it's a spot on. And, and I cannot agree more. And I love that you brought up all three foundational elements from that self-awareness, self-management and social awareness. Uh, one thing, and I love that you brought up emotional intelligence. I always see emotional intelligence, social intelligence, specifically right now, are definitely the most necessary and essential for healthy future leadership because both of them also bring emotional capacity that they can stretch us, that we can build on without collapsing, that we're still in manageable state of our own behavior in order to we can manage better and effective behavior around other people, which is then again, also social capacity. As we have that as individual, we need to also figure out what is emotional intelligence and capacity of the whole team or whole organization, and what is also social capacity. So how do we then now, when we're have incremental change and growth and transformation of companies and organizations capable to really effectively integrate that. And, and, and that is, the, again, guys, it is the art. But what is also the most important, Carissa, right? It's investment in yourself, development, yes. and future and consistent learning. Mm -hmm. Well, and we talked so much about the impact of self-awareness on our teams and on our leadership and on our organizations, but Isabella, we cannot underestimate the impact that it has on us personally as people. We're people before we're leaders. We're people that are craving peace of mind, people who are craving the ability to actually relax and just be human beings and not human doings all of the time. And as we grow in self-awareness and do some of this work, our ability ability to show up as our best self and to experience life in its fullness uh, is increased exponentially. Definitely, definitely. And I love, I love that you are bringing back to the individual for our own self and ownership of that, because that's the also huge piece, right? If we're not owning our own behaviors and our own, whatever it is, positive, negative, or neutral, all of that is really essential. How can we then insert ourselves and think about as a positive, great contributors, despite of great optimism, without understanding how to leverage and utilize and hone all of that a dynamic that we bring to the table and how we insert uh, in, in anything that we do, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we have here uh, appreciation from uh, Handstand, so it is rational, part of interaction process, good for opportunities, uh, opportunistic behaviors, yes, and good for actually practicing on daily basis and testing it out, right? Only way we're going to know if we're getting better, if we are practicing. Yeah. Do you mind just sharing, just saying closing remarks, Carissa? This felt hour really went very, very fast. So, uh, it did. I know you have uh, another meeting to go to, like myself. So do you mind just quickly and then re recap with anything you feel like it's essential for others to know or remember or anything that you want to give them advice in order to lead with much higher self-awareness moving forward today? Yes. So I would say it's time to just do the work. You know, this is one of those things where Isabella and I both are aligned. We don't want to leave you with knowledge. We want to give you some practical next steps, some calls to action. And so my first encouragement would be if you don't know or are confident about your Enneagram type, highly encourage you to check it out and look into it. There's a link on my LinkedIn profile to a free guide that you can download that gives an overview of all nine types so 
you can start to figure out what your type is. What's the core motivation that's driving you? If you do understand your Enneagram type, it's time to really get to know what are the strengths of that type? What are the potential vulnerabilities of that type? What does that type look like in health? What does that type look like in stress? So that you can begin to see some of the things that maybe you are missing or have been missing. And then if you have done the work yourself and so you feel like you have, you understand your personality, you understand your vulnerabilities, you've got somebody giving you really good feedback, now it's time to take that to your team, to the people that you're leading and help influence them to grow in their self-awareness. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.